Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Welcome to church this morning. Great to see you here on this long weekend. I mean, God bless everyone that did get away, but I would rather be here today, to be honest. Excellent. Well, um, we are in the midst of a series from Little Things. And this is a series in which we are looking at the fact that little actions can have big and positive outcomes in our life. I guess they can have big and negative outcomes, but we're looking at the ones that produce positive outcomes in our lives. Okay, last week, um, Josh introduced some of us perhaps for the first time to the Wordle, which was excellent. But then he went on to speak about the little thing of just reading your Bible. It doesn't have to be a massive amount of time devoted to it. don't have to go be a scholar and go to uni and learn. Just reading your Bible. Engaging with the truth of God, even listening to your Bible, but just getting God's truth into us is one of those little things that can really bear great fruit in our lives because the Bible teaches us the truth. It reveals our sin and ultimately it helps us to be restored when we become aware of our predicament. And so today, um, I want to just sort of pick up on that, on what Josh spoke about last week and, and maybe take it to the next step. Because reading the Bible is absolutely foundational to Christianity, but at the same time, it's not actually an end in itself. We don't just read the Bible for reading the Bible's sake. It's supposed to take us somewhere. Okay, and so um, we see if we look back and we do read the Bible, we'll read about Jesus in the New Testament, particularly Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and we read about Jesus on the earth interacting with people. And we see that many of the people he interacted with actually opposed him. They were quite offended by some of the things he said and some of the things he did. But the thing that's interesting to me is that both Jesus and his opponents were reading the Bible or reading the Scriptures, the Old Testament as it was back in the day. So... They were reading the same thing, but their understanding and their application of God's word was very different. One approach produced religious bondage. The other produced freedom. One approach produced misery. The other promoted joy. One approach ultimately leads to death, while the other leads to life. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like, how can that be? Like, how can, how can the same book produce such vastly different results? And I think Jesus was speaking to this. He said to the Pharisees, those he was speaking to at the time, in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the religious people of Jesus' day, the ones that generally were his opponents, and I guess the same could be said today, but they sought eternal life through the study and observance of God's written word. Jesus came with a different approach not as a prophet or a teacher of God's word, but he was actually the fulfillment of God's word. 
John chapter 1, verse 1. I kind of alluded to this last week in our communion time. But uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. It gets pretty clear, doesn't it? It's like this, this mysterious word. It's the Son. It's Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, who made him known. Now, if we go back a little bit and think about Adam and Eve and when they sinned, what did they do? Well, essentially they exchanged a relationship with God for the knowledge of good and evil. And ever since that time, people tend to believe that God's favour is earned by doing good and shunning evil. That's the way we get favour with God. And if you read the Old Testament and you read the law of Moses and you read a lot of interactions between people and God, it certainly seems to reinforce that idea. But I want to underline seems because it's not actually the case. When we read the word, you see, we only interpret the word. And we interpret it through our sin-induced brokenness. In other words, we don't think, see things as they truly are. We have agendas. We have different bents. We have preferences. We have hurts. We have a history. We've got our current circumstance. We've got all of that. And all of that comes together and becomes the lens through which we read Scripture. And so we see that reading the Word can produce faith, hope, and love. But because of our brokenness, the Word can also produce, or reading the Word can also produce religion, self-righteousness, condemnation, unrealistic expectations, and even despair. That's what we bring to the table. But when Jesus came... He didn't just come as an interpreter of Scripture, doing his best to try and work out what God was saying. No, no, he came as God, revealing the truth. Revealing the truth about the purpose of the law. It was never to make us righteous. It was just to show us that we are sinners. That's it. Bottom line. He showed the way of salvation. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And ultimately, he showed us what God is like. He is God. He has made the Father in heaven known. If you've seen me, said Jesus, you've seen the Father. And like that was revolutionary for those that were hearing it. For some, it absolutely scared the daylights out of them. Because some people, by nature, tend to do pretty well in life. They're kind, or they're nice, or they're charismatic, or they're clever, or maybe they're just good at keeping rules. And so they can work themselves to the, bottom, to the top of the pile. And in this particular case, the religious pile was pretty important in Jesus' day. And so you had these people, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these, these people that were doing pretty well, religiously speaking, who looked 
by all accounts, to be quite holy, quite righteous, quite in favour with God. And so Jesus came and began to shake the foundations on which they'd built their life, their position, their favour. All of those things that, that were so important to them suddenly became a little bit shaky. When Jesus talked about you know, tearing down the temple, <laughs> that was pretty scary for those people who were invested in worship and religion and, and the temple and tithes and all of that sort of stuff. And so those people dug themselves in and began to build up barriers against Jesus, started to oppose him and undermine him and ultimately to kill him. Others, however were refreshed by what Jesus brought, the message, the life that he lived, and they embraced him. And that's why I started by saying that the word of God, reading the word, is foundational, but it's not an end in itself. So we need to go beyond just reading the written word because ultimately it is a launching pad towards knowing the living word, God himself. And today I want to look at three little things that can be transformational in terms of turning us from religious activity into people who have a relationship with God. Now, the three things I'm going to mention, seriously, each of them are a sermon in themselves or a study or a topic at uni or whatever, you know, Bible school, seminary, you know, they are big topics. And I do not have any intention of going deep in this. All I'm really hoping to do is to inspire you to look again, maybe some things that you thought, yeah, that was, you know, that was something I used to do, or maybe it's something you've never heard about. I want to inspire you to go back and have another look at these things in order we might just not know them, but maybe even do them. And so the first one is just prayer, simply prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. In other words, sometimes the peace that we have goes beyond our circumstance and our situation. It makes no sense why that Christian is still smiling when you look at everything that's going on in their world. But they're connected to God. And so there's a peace that comes with that. And that peace guards our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. And so we're called to come to God and talk to Him because prayer, really, that's at the bottom of the the day. You know, prayer is kind of a religious word that it just simply means communicating with God. That's what it's about, talking to God. Okay? Um, So I want to start by saying if you can talk to others, if you can communicate, maybe you can't even talk, but if you can communicate to others, you can communicate. To God. Not too hard. But one of the things I've noticed is that so many people I talk to say, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. My prayers aren't good enough. I'm a bad prayer. And in that sense, the whole idea of prayer, which is supposed to bring peace... And calm our anxious hearts and all of that. It suddenly becomes a source of stress in and of itself. The thought of going to God and talking to him is like, that's stressful because I don't know if I'm doing it right. 
Where did that come from? Why on earth would we be thinking like that? Well, that's what Jesus was addressing. You see, in his day and today, there's a whole bunch of wrong concepts about what prayer is. What it looks like, how it should be done, where it should be done, whether it should be loud or quiet, whether it should be done on your knees or on your face or standing or sitting or, you know, like, so much confusion. <laughs> Just overcomplicating everything. You know, the Bible says a lot about prayer. And, you know, some people just love reading the Bible and studying stuff and they could tell you the Greek and the Hebrew and, they, and, the, and the Aramaic and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff and not actually pray. <laughs> so it's not about just reading the Word, it's about applying it. And so Jesus had a few things to say about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to sort of pull in a few scriptures from Matthew chapter 6. But he starts, well, he says this in verse 5, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites or the actors for they love to pray standing in the synagogues or on the street corners to be seen by others. So basically, prayer isn't a show. And sometimes we can get intimidated because we think, well, we can, we can kind of think it is a bit of a show. You know, if you're praying amongst other people, you can, you can feel the pressure because some other people are look really good at praying. It's impressive to hear them or watch them. They seem to so, know so much. And that can be intimidating. But prayer is not a show. It doesn't matter how you pray. It's about talking to God. Jesus also said this. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. And again, who of us maybe at some time in our Christian walk has not been psyched out and possibly annoyed by the person who Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's a prayer meeting. Maybe it's just in ch- the person that can pray for hours on end, or, or at least it feels like it. <laughs> but we don't need to impress God with our knowledge and our volume of words. In fact, Jesus goes on to say he actually knows what we want before we even ask him. Prayer is more about us focusing on him than it is about him needing to hear us because he knows everything anyway. And so let's not stress out about whether my prayers are long enough, whether my prayers are impressive enough, whether my prayers are good enough or whatever it might be. Let's just get back to the basics. This was the beautiful thing about Jesus. He came and he just spoke into a religion that had become so complicated and complex and aloof and left so many people out. And he just brought it back to basics. He simplified everything. And like I said, for some who were living off the back of religion, it was offensive and scary. To others, it was like a breath of fresh air. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, and he, 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 he says, this is how you should pray. And he shares those words which we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins or our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. About 50 words. And yet it's just a powerful, powerful, inclusive model of prayer. Jesus isn't saying pray 50 words and no more, no less, or, you know... He's not saying you can't pray longer or shorter than that. It's basically just here are some of the things 
that you might like to be talking to God about. I mean, I don't know about you, because this is a model prayer. We can break it down a little bit and say, okay, well, what are some of the things that maybe could be a part of my talking to God time? And so I think the first one, our Father in heaven, to me that's just straight away, that's about perspective. Because if I, if I don't focus first on him, I come overwhelmed by my problems and start to whinge and complain to God, but I've got no faith. <laughs> I'm just already defeated by the magnitude of the problem. But when I remember that I have a Father, someone in heaven who loves me, someone who's taking responsibility, someone who's got my back and on my side and cheering me on, and I understand that he's in heaven, we're on earth, and heaven is above the earth. Heaven, heaven supersedes the earth. He's the creator of everything that is seen and unseen. He's in charge. And so suddenly whatever I bring to the table finds its rightful place. If I'm sick, if I'm financially strapped, if I'm having relational issues, if I need a job, if, there, if, if it looks like we could be going to war, or whatever the problem might be, God is over and above it. It's a great place to start. Hallowed be your name, praise, worship, giving God his due. Reminding ourselves, again, he doesn't need reminding who he is. He knows who he is. He's surrounded by angels just worshipping all the time. But it's great for us to remember who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven. This is, this is a kind of submission, submitting our will to God's. It can be like a, it can, it can have a very, be very small in scope. It could be just my life. It could be my family. It could be my church. It could be my workplace. It could be our state, our country, the world. We can pray as big or as little. We can zoom in. We can zoom out. God, your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. It's just talking about God meeting our needs, providing for us. Forgiving our debts. Again, Josh spoke about the fact that you know, the word reveals sin. And we will be aware of the stuff, well, the stuff-ups that we make. And so it's good just to bring that before God. Confess it. Ask for forgiveness. Apologise. Lead us not into temptation. Again, help us in our weaknesses. You know, some of us, if, if we were to, you know, scrutinise every person in this room, there will be none that has got it all together. Every one of us has weaknesses. Every one of us has, has you know, um, chinks in our armour. Things that we are susceptible to, that we don't want to be susceptible to. Well, this is a great place to bring this to God. I say, God, left to my own devices, I will, or I will. But I thank you that greater is he that's in me than the one that's in the world. And you, by your spirit, help me to say no to ungodliness. And so, Lord, for today, help me not to touch the drink. Help me not to touch the drugs. Help me not to pursue women. Help me not to whatever it might be that's, that I know is not God's will being done on earth as in heaven. And deliver us from the evil one. Protection. And so there's, there's so much in the word that we can glean and learn about prayer. Like I said, all the different expressions, all the different possible topics of conversation with God. But at the end of the day, none of it is a substitute for just actually praying. Yeah. Let's just make time in our busy schedules to involve God. Let's talk to him about what's going on in our worlds, whether it's good, bad or ugly. He's interested and he wants to be involved and we can invite him into it. 
I just want to quickly say, you know, prayer also involves listening. You know, prayer is not just a one-way street where I just get like, my, like a machine gun, just fire my requests at God and then just carry on with my life. I mean, I've... I've oh. <laughs> one of the things that frustrates me is sometimes people come for prayer. And I'm not thinking of any particular person. It's happened many, many, many times to me. But you ask them what they'd like prayer for, and then you say, okay, let's pray about that. And then they just start praying. like, And it's like, well, you know, part of prayer is about agreeing together. <laughs> and I don't even think you're listening to me. I don't, I don't even think that you, it's just like, I feel like you're shutting me out with all your words. Why are we doing this? You could have done this on your own. <laughs> and I think sometimes maybe God even feels like that. Because people just got this massive list and they telling him all that he should be doing and why he should be doing it and, you know, they deserve it and they've earned it. And, and maybe just let's just pull back a little bit at times and just give room for God to speak. It's really going to, you know, most of us struggle at times thinking, oh, does God speak? I can't hear him, you know, like, well, let's just give him a chance, please. <laughs> Much increases the chance, the likelihood of hearing him if we actually take some time just to reflect, which kinds of bring me into the next point. So the first little thing is, is prayer. The second little thing is time alone with God, making time and a space for God. You know, any meaningful relationship requires time and focus. If a marriage doesn't have time and focus put into it, it probably won't endure, and if it does, it'll be miserable. Time and focus. And like I said, often people struggle with beyond the fact my prayers aren't good enough, the next thing is, God doesn't speak to me. But I'd guarantee that absolutely he does, he has, he will. And even, even beyond that, I would be so bold as to say, every person in this room has heard God. Every one of you, even you that are sitting there going, I've never heard God. I can guarantee that you've heard God. I may be can't guarantee that you've recognised God <laughs> or listened to God, but I can guarantee that you've heard God for a start. But I can probably say that most of you have actually listened to God as well. Maybe you still haven't recognised God, but you've, you've heard his voice, you've thought it was you, your brilliant idea or whatever, and you know, you've, just, you've done something or you've rocked up at church or maybe you're listening on a podcast right now or watching us online. And I think God's got something to do with that. You've actually been obedient in rocking up. Now, maybe some of you were dragged kicking and screaming by parents or friends or whatever, but God can even be in that. But I guarantee if you look across your life, or maybe one day you'll get the privilege of looking back across your life, and you'll see all of God's words and all of God's interventions across your life, even before you're a Christian, even while you're a Christian that wasn't praying or reading your Bible, and <laughs> God is always speaking to us. He wants relationship with us. We exchanged a relationship with God for just knowing, are we doing good or are we doing bad? Let's avoid the bad and let's do the good. And God's going, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about a relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 6, When you pray, go to your room, close the door and pray. Now, again, let's not build a theology about rooms or doors, that's not the point. I think the point here is make some time to prioritise God. Get away from the distraction. Who here lives a busy life? 
Who here has lots of distractions going on in their world? Who here finds it difficult to focus on God at times? And even more difficult to actually hear him in the busyness of their life? Probably all of us. So Jesus, knowing that, encourages us to have some alone time with God. He himself is a great example of it. Very early in the morning, Mark 1.35, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But often Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why lonely places? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, as I've already mentioned, that it helps us to focus, helps us to hear. But I think the other thing, it actually combats that tendency of us to show off as well. <laughs> like I said, Jesus is really having a go at that, the religious traditions and, and, and those people that were making it all about a show. that On the inside, they were hollow. They were not connected to God, but they looked so much like they were. But the thing is, when you go away quietly and pray, and no one gives you any credit, no one knows you're doing it, God knows it's genuine, not just the show. Conversation, communication, two-way communication. Think about last week. Remember Josh's little diagram, a picture he put up, if we can have it up here? The jam jar kid. You know, remember the story where the, the boy had um, got the jam, was eating it, and his parents came home, challenged him. Oh, no, I haven't touched the jam. It wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. It was someone else, you know. All the things we do when we're confronted by truth. We blame, we deflect. We you know, when you get to all of that, finally he looks down. When his self-confidence had been eroded, when he could no longer look his parents in the eye and keep lying, he looks down and he sees the jam on his shirt. His sin is there for all to see. And how much is that like us with God? You know, our natural, even, you know, we come to the Word, we read something, and we think, if it's something good, maybe we think that's us. Yeah, I'm a righteous person. Or maybe, you know, again, for whatever reason, we actually, we just are, are so down on ourselves that, yeah, I'm a rotten person. How could God ever love me? But God wants to get us involved in a conversation where He can lift our heads or perhaps drop our eyes. <laughs> that we might either understand our value or see our sin. <laughs> but it takes time. It's part of a conversation. God will hear us out. We can rant and rail about God and you know that person that's so unjust and treating us so badly and why he should strike them down as the mighty smiter. But it's amazing how God's still small voice will eventually bring us to the, to the point was there, was there nothing you did to contribute to that? Nothing at all that could possibly have offended that person. No, Lord. No, they're just a rotten person. They deserve everything they can get. Everyone hates them. I'm not alone. They, they offend a lot of people, Lord. They really need taken down a peg. Okay. And, and, and you don't. Well, I guess maybe half a peg. Maybe I'm not really that perfect. Problem is, Jesus said, be, be perfect as my Father in heaven is, imper is perfect. <laughs> so we're wanting to engage in a conversation. We want room for God to speak to us so he can reveal our true condition and then open us up to receiving his grace. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It's written, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this, we're talking about the personal spoken word here. We're talking about the word from God in the moment as opposed to just the written word, historical word on the page. We're talking about God interjecting into our world and speaking something that's specific to us now. So how does God speak? Well, he speaks in lots of different ways. Often he will take us back to the written word. You know, Josh quoted last week, you know, the, the word of God is living and active. It's like a sword. It divides between our you know, joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It, it, it scrutinizes us. And so often there'll be things in Scripture that are written that apply directly to our lives. But I want you to know that God is not even confined just to quoting Scripture in order to communicate with us. God is in our world with us right now. He can help you with any problem that you have. He can speak to you. There are some problems that exist today that never existed when Jesus walked on the earth. Ultimately, they arise from the same place, sin. But Jesus can speak specifically to, to you about your situation. He will never contradict his word. He will never be anything other than his character as revealed in Scripture. But he can speak to you beyond Scripture. Okay? Sometimes he'll speak to you by an impression. Sometimes he'll speak to you by a thought. Sometimes you'll just get a thought out of nowhere. And it might be you're just, you know, you're struggling and stressing. You might remember a verse that you can then just reflect on. That's God speaking to you. Sometimes you'll be just getting about your business and you'll get an impression or an inkling to go and do something or see someone. You know, believe it or not, God knows that we have mobile phones. The Holy Spirit could say something like, why don't you just shoot so-and-so a text? Or why don't you give them a call? Now, you might not initially recognise that as the voice of God, but you can actually just say, God, was that you? And he might say, well, is it likely to be me? And you say, well, I'm not really sure, God. He goes, well, was it going to hurt if you ring that person? Well, probably not. So why not just ring the person? So I ring the person, and it's one of those God conversations. You know, when you ring and it's just the right time, you say just the right things, they're thanking God, you come away thanking God, and you go, oh, God, that was you. I'm so glad I listened. He does that. He does that. And he does it more often, I think, when we actually make room and just aren't so busy that we just dismiss everything and move on and carry on. But when we actually are training ourselves to hear the voice of God. Sometimes we're stressing and straining and we've got a decision to make. And it's like, God, do I do this? Do I do that? God, do I do this? Do I do that? And... You know, he sometimes, you know, the Bible talks about the, the, the peace of God be the umpire of your heart, you know. And so sometimes it's just like we start thinking about one thing and we sense the peace of God that passes understanding. But there's no real reason why that decision is any better than that decision, but one's got peace and one's got stress. That's another way that God speaks. And, you know, the good thing is that the more you hear God, the more easily you recognize God. And so that's why you sometimes get really impressed by people that have been Christians for a long time. You think, wow, they hear God so easily and they seem to know everything. And, you know, like, 
Yeah, that's awesome. They've known God for 40 or 50 years. And they've pursued God for 40 or 50 years. They've been writing, reading their Bible for 40 They've been praying for 40 They've been making time for him for 40 or 50 years. So don't be intimidated if you're not at that level. You're just trying to work your way out if it's God. You will know, ultimately, by the fruit of what takes place in your life. Some things, you'll realise that was just a dumb idea. That was just me. Some things, you think it through and go, wow, that must be the devil trying to get down that path. But this thing, this seems like God. It's going to lead to life. It's going to be a source of blessing. It's going to strengthen and encourage people. That sounds like God to me. I'm going to take a risk on that one. And as it works out for the good, we recognise, yes, that's what God sounds like to me. Can't prescribe it. Some people are very spiritually perceptive and they literally you know, seem to hear the voice of God. Other people will never hear an audible voice of God, but they can still hear from God. Okay? All right, so... Just a few little transformative little things we can do. We can pray. We can make time to focus through just getting away. Again, we're going to sing a song, Up on the Mountain. I love this song because this is a song that Em's written. But it kind of encapsulates the, the atmosphere, the tone, the humility, the desire of the person who's just wanting to connect with God and wanting to honour God. But, you know, it can be down at the beach. It can be out on the bike. It can be down the backyard. It, it, it can be wherever. <laughs> and there's no right or wrong place. It could be in the lounge when the kids are asleep. It could be walking down Linear Park or wherever, but find a time, make a space, and be intentional as best you possibly can. You, you, will, you, you won't be consistent, probably. There will be times that things will get in your way, but just prioritise making some time. I'm putting out the challenge, really, if you don't do that already. Um, and thirdly... Fasting. This is a bit of a scary one for some people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he says, When you fast, it's interesting. When you fast, was he just talking to people who were culturally accustomed to fasting, or is it something that applies to all of us? I'll let you be the judge. But Jesus said, When you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. <laughs> Again, just lashing, <laughs> just lashing the self righteous here. <laughs> For they try to look miserable and dishevelled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they're going to get. Someone says, you're so spiritual fasting and that's it. That's your reward. There. Boom. Down. Done. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't make it obvious. If you're going to fast, again, just keep it between you and me. And you'll be rewarded ultimately for that. It shows that it's real when you're not just, you know, because again, we are so flawed. We, 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 will, we will feed off of people. We'll go fishing for compliments. We will, go, we, we will throw stuff out there that will make people think that we are super spiritual Christian heroes. Like we are the elite. We are the, the, the Christian equivalent of the SAS. I fast. 40 days, thank you very much. Water only. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you would never do that, would you? None of us. We'd never a little, maybe not that much. Maybe we'd never face. Certainly never fast 40 days, but maybe one day or three days. Hey, look, fasting is just about going without. All right, going without food generally um, in Scripture. And, you know, it's just, it, to me, it's really just an acknowledgement that we are not just physical beings, but we are spiritual beings. And I can spend my whole life being led around by my physical desires trying to get them met. Or I can say, hang on a minute, body. You're going to serve me and you're going to serve God. 
And so we're going we're gonna to take a rest for a while and we're going to prioritise God. I want to be not just nourished physically, I want to be nourished spiritually. And I want to be able to bless others. And so fasting really, um, just going out with food for a season or time, not a whole season, imagine that. I'm going to go autumn, no food. <laughs> just a time. Um, it's a demonstration of our priorities. It says, God, you really matter to me. Well, God, this person that I'm praying for, and I just, I, just really, I just really want you to know how much they matter to me. It sharpens our focus. You know, there's a whole bunch of physical benefits to fasting. You may have fasted already for medical reasons or health reasons or whatever. But, you know, there are some physical benefits to fasting. Your body will detox. And in that process, you know, it's not always easy. Sometimes I find fasting easy. Sometimes it's hard. It doesn't matter if it's easy or hard. It shows priority. And often on the days that are hard, it's sometimes the day or the two or the week after when you kind of sense a real breakthrough in terms of, of, of lightness and freedom and, and hearing God and those sort of things. But it does, generally speaking, when you fast, it'll sharpen your focus. If you get hungry at lunchtime, it helps you to remember, oh, yeah, I'm fasting. <laughs> and maybe it becomes a, a push. You've got a little bit extra time because you're not making your lunch or you're not sitting there. So maybe you go for a walk and talk to God. Or maybe you pull out your Bible and have a read. Maybe you listen to a podcast, whatever it might be, just, just to say, God, I'm prioritising you on this day. It adjusts our perspective. You know, most people think if I won't eat for a day, they'll die. The reality is you won't. You'll probably be better for it. It helps us to get perspective about things that really matter and, and, to, find, and, and to grab hold of truth. Fasting frees up our resources. You know, I'm gonna, one of the readings I'm going to put on the app this week is Isaiah 58. It talks about true fasting. And it talks about the mess that people were making of it back in the day. And that God was not impressed at all because they were arguing and they were fighting and bickering and, and, and the whole purpose of fasting whereby it was freeing up some resources to help those not so well off. They were being neglected. And it was all about the pretense. But the trouble is when you're just doing it for your own means, you know, you're subject to getting grumpy. and Anyway... Have a read. But fasting is, it, it frees up resources. It frees up your time. Like I said, the amount of time you may be spending a day, what would it be? For some people, it could be hours in the time they spend preparing and eating food. Suddenly you've got two hours you never had to devote to God or to helping someone else. Resources, how much did that food cost? Maybe that could go to helping someone who's maybe having a tough time at the moment. Or maybe it could go to helping practically. Okay, fasting is spiritual but it's practical. <clears throat> Jesus said this, um, John chapter 4, verse 31 to 34, is when he's talking to the lady at the well, who's been speaking with her, and you know the disciples have gone off to get some food. They come back, <clears throat> and they said to Jesus, have some food. And he goes, I'm not hungry. <laughs> they go, why not? And he says, well, I have food you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And I must say that you know, there is something that I, you know, there is something wonderful about that truth. When you sense you're in the will of God, when you hear God's voice and you respond and you become a source of life and light and hope to somebody else, mate, in that moment, you don't need anything else. You are full. You are satisfied. The cravings that you might struggle with on any other day, they're gone. You are full. You, you, are, you, are, you sense the favour of God and that is enough in that moment. I'm not saying that's going to carry on for years and years and years. You've got to eat. 
But I'm just saying that there's something to be said. When we, when we put ourselves out and aside for God and others, it's like it's food to our soul. On that, I guess, um, you know, there are other warnings. Like I said, you know, we can get proud about fasting. We can, we can want people to honour us for that and think that we're heroes and all, all that. That's not what it's about. It's about you and God. If you have further questions about fasting, again, it's one of those topics we don't sort of cover every week. And it can seem like it's one of those things for, for super Christians that, you know, only. But if you have questions about fasting, we'd love to talk more. Like I said, I'm just skimming across the surface here and not really um, going to any sort of depth. And so this series has been about little things that can make a big difference. Last week, the value of reading God's Word. This week, transforming the written Word and being just a reader of the Word into being one who has a relationship with God through prayer, through prioritising time with God and through adding fasting to that in order it might be able to focus and more easily be aware of God's presence. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.